Hello and welcome to Swana Region Radio, a weekly review of politics and culture covering the whole region of South and West Asia and Northern Africa that regularly broadcasts on Pacifica Station KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. My name is Sarai Zarouk, here with fellow collective member and co-host Ankine Antharam. Welcome, Ankine. Thank you, Saraya. Our shows and podcasts can be found regularly on Spotify Anchor or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow our updates on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We thank you in advance for tuning in and sharing our shows widely. Today, we learn some basics about the caste system in India. What exactly is caste and how does it work? What is its importance in India? And why should we in the global north care about it? We hope that today's show will be the first in an ongoing series covering caste in global contexts. To answer some of these questions today, we are honored to host our guest, Samita Srivatsa. Samita Srivatsa is a third year PhD student in critical dance studies at UC Riverside. In her research, she's interested in, in interrogating how the politics of upper caste, heteropatriarchal domestic space have come to structure the contemporary ecosystems of classical dance in India. Welcome to the show, Samita Srivatsa. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Very excited and nervous to be here. So, Samita, could you explain to our audience what this word caste means in the context of India? Yes, sure. Caste system is basically a four-tiered social framework, a hierarchical system, which divides society hierarchically on the basis of the labor that your community engages in. And it's a very old system. It's much older than the way, way, way older than the British colonialism in India. It's said to be about 2000 year old system. So it's not a modern invention, even though it continues into modern and contemporary context also. So the four tiered system, it was traditionally called a Varna system. And According to the system, the society can be divided um, hierarchically on the basis of the labor that your community engages in. And on the topmost of this hierarchy are the Brahmins or the upper caste or the caste dominant people. Um, Brahmins traditionally were priests. Their work was that of priesthood. And they are also the people who are known to have written a lot of religious texts on which they exercised control, which were not accessible to people outside of the Brahmin caste. So they they produced written knowledge and also controlled the written knowledge and who has access to it. So that would be the Brahmins. The lowest caste in the caste order is the Shudras. Uh, The Shudras are uh, basically communities which engage in any work, any labor which involves doing work with the body. So doing work with the hands, so manual manual labor. And this also includes like artisanal communities like weavers, potters, barber community. Then you have people who build construction workers, basically people who do work with their hands are the Shudra community. And in between, you have Kshatriyas and Vaishyas. Kshatriyas come right after the Brahmins. They are the warrior communities. They wielded political power. Traditionally, the kings 
but also they are below what is interesting to note here that even though they are warriors and kings they still come below the brahmin so even the king traditionally took advice of the brahmin because he was the learn, learned man so the brahmin comes with a lot of cultural and intellectual capital in this society uh, then in the third place we have the vaishyas who are traditionally like bookkeepers and accountants and people who collected tax the, these are the four castes in the varna system but outside of this varna system we have what today this these communities are known as dalits they engage in labor which is considered so menial that they don't even have a place in the caste system so they are outside of the caste system they were also considered untouchables uh, because they engaged in usually work of picking up night soil which is which is basically the work of cleaning domestic work which is and clearing basically and of people traditionally before we had like a system about it and today we dalits are also garbage collectors so this is the f- social framework of the varna system that we have thank you so how has the system changed over time what is it like today in india how do these structures manifest today in the modern context there is definitely uh, there is a blurring of boundaries with respect to the upper caste the first three castes that we spoke about and you see people in all these castes in modern professions like you have a, a lot of brahmins in academia and you have upper caste people the brahmins the kshatriyas the vaishyas occupying modern professional jobs so you have them as like usually you the all the blue collar jobs doctors engineers people in the banks and people in academia are people in the upper caste but even today the work of let's say clearing garbage or like cleaning the streets all of these kinds of works are still done by the lower caste people the the dalits who are who they continue to do this work and how it has continued in the sense that it's not just a hierarchy also depends on performance of power so the way it sustains itself is also through treating people those who are lower than you poorly or badly or discriminating against them and also in the modern context even though casteism as such and caste discrimination is not legal there are a lot of instances of caste discrimination still such as like untouchability as i was mentioning that dalits are also considered untouchables in according to this caste system and untouchability continues to be practiced even today very recently what comes to my mind is there was a video that got circulated of a bbmp worker bbmp is the bangalore uh, corporation which hires people on a contractual basis to collect garbage in the city and clean the city and uh, one of the women who works as a garbage collector here was sharing about how she feels often thirsty when this through the day when she's doing this work and when she asks people when she goes for water when she goes to their home to collect the garbage there are instances where she 
gets denied even drinking water from in people's homes and there are occasions when if they do give water they give it to her in a bathroom mug a lot of the brahmin households even today keep like separate vessels to serve food for domestic workers who come to their house or like they do not have access to drinking water in their homes you or they have to drink it in a separate glass so these practices of segregation and untouchability continue very much even to this day so i want to ask you about how is this part of the political system and if there have been laws that have been passed to change this but first i'm wondering is it possible to move up to the caste system for example if you're born to a family that's in a lower caste can you get educated and then become a member of the upper caste is there upper mobility to castes i guess is what i'm asking <laughs> I think that is a very very important question and I'm so glad you asked me that because caste of a person is determined by birth even if you move up in your class ladder you cannot a dalit person can never move up the caste order but it is also a very important question because often people conflate say that there is no caste anymore or oh, caste uh, lower caste people are in positions of power so you know caste discrimination doesn't exist so i also often i learned to understand this difference also by thinking about how we do not confuse race for class right we do not confuse gender for class but there is con- similarly caste cannot be confused for class that way so i know that there are lots plenty of instances where people from uh, caste oppressed communities have managed through affirmative action found their way into like modern educational systems and have still been subjected to uh, discrimination to um, you know one of the most recent news that i read like an example of how it manifests in like even when they try to move up and try to do well for themselves is like iits and iims in india are these go- central government universities very well known for their training they offer to become engineers especially and uh, it's considered very prestigious and through like very hard to get through because the competition is so cutthroat and you have to like secure and pass like insane amounts of exams and tests and with a lot of difficulty caste oppressed people manage to find a place through a lot of hard work in these institutions and when even there when they do they are chided for having come there through affirmative action they by the upper caste people one of the way to even find out and sniff the caste of a person sniff is by knowing whether that student has come there through affirmative action or not and once you know that that person has come through an affirmative action you expose the caste it exposes the caste of the student and therefore that student becomes subject to casteist behavior by upper caste students or by faculty and another example i heard was like there are apparently different canteens and messes for different like it's all unset it's not declared but you know that savarna or upper caste students go and eat in this canteen 
and lower caste students who live in this hostel go and eat in this canteen so yes there is upward mobility but still there does not they do not become com- members of upper caste communities and you are listening to Swan Energy Radio on independent and listener sponsored KPFK 90.7 FM Los Angeles 98.7 FM Santa Barbara 93.7 FM San Diego KPFK is currently on a fun drive You rely on KPFK, your public radio for independent music, trustworthy news, and authentic culture. Think about what KPFK means to you and put a value on it today. Now more than ever, we need your support to keep KPFK free and thriving in Southern California. Become a member today or renew your membership now at kpfk.org or call 818-985-5735. 818-985-KPFK and press 2. Now back to our interview with Samita Sarivatsa about the caste system in India. So there are no physical markings that identify who is in what, what caste system. I mean visual markings. Whether it's skin color or other markings. Like uh, There's no way of telling uh, so... if someone belongs to a certain caste system. So again, a very important question. Caste is not something we identify phenotypically, but because you don't, there have been systems which have been put in place um, so that you know what caste the person is. One of the ways is that visual markers are there in the way what you wear. So upper caste men, especially Brahmins, wear what they call like their sacred thread which is a ritual that they go through, especially upper caste men, they go go through where they are given this thread, which they're supposed to wear. And that becomes like a very clear visual marker. And then you perform your caste pride, right? Caste pride is something which is in the caste system only allowed for the upper caste to perform. So yeah, there are visual markers. And these things are completely not allowed anymore. But before the lower caste people were forced to carry like a spittoon around their necks in some parts of India where they had so that they don't spit outside and defile the space or pollute the space. There were systems that were put in place to be able to mark to visually identify or like lower caste women were not allowed to wear a blouse with their sari. So these kinds of rules. And even now you find out in these other way, ways, you know, like where did you come from affirmative action or like who's, what's your surname? Surname surname in India is like the big thing that tells you what is your family genealogy. And that's how your caste becomes exposed. Samita, how did you come to learn about caste in your own life? I know that as a Sri Lankan, you know, caste exists in Sri Lanka. I never learned about it from my family or from school. I'm learning about it now, really, in my life here in America. So how did um, you come to learn about caste? So in terms of coming to learn about caste, there has been different ways in which this has been a part of my awareness. One was definitely that I read it as a part of my formal education. So when I did my undergrad or when I was when I was taking a sociology courses, I read about the caste system. I read about the Varna system. And while I was growing up and like reading this formally, in my own home, I heard things like, you know, we are Brahmins. 
I remember my father saying that we are Brahmins or we are upper caste people. But it was always said with, I grew up with a sense of pride for being a vegetarian, which is also a very upper caste uh, food habit, right? So I grew up with a lot of pride for the cultures that I came from. I was reading about caste system in my formal education and internally growing up feeling very proud about things about like my caste location, but never actually putting the two together. It is only as an adult that I have learned to implicate myself. Uh, I have learned to, when actually caste discourse became, there was a lot of conversation about caste on social media. And I started following people from different caste locations, particularly Dalit Bahujan and Adivasi uh, folks who were speaking about anti-caste discourses. And it also happened, like I learned to implicate myself specifically when my own, when I got called out by my own friends for some of the things I said or did, which I did not even know how to recognize, recognize as like in the context of caste, which is like feeling extreme disgust to like touch things that are considered dirty or uh, making a face when... I smell meat, you know, these kinds of things when uh, my friends pointed out to me and they recognized it, that this is casteist behavior when I realized that this is where I come from and it's important for me to name my own positionality even in the context of this conversation because I enter and my opening into, I had the privilege of getting to know about it much later. I had the privilege of growing up with like cast pride consciously or subconsciously especially this one incident that comes to my mind is of Nritya Pillai she is uh, a Bahujan she identifies as a Bahujan dancer her ancestors were courtesanal dancers and they were marginalized in India they they their profession was criminalized it was considered considered demeaning to engage in this work, a lot of the things that she did or said about appropriation of her culture, about how like upper caste, I'm also, I also trained in dance. And it's only when Ritya started writing about how upper caste women dance an appropriated form, which once belonged to her foremother, that it became very, very real for me. I did not even know where, where my practice of dance came from. So those are some of the instances. And uh, Samitha, does the caste system exist elsewhere or is it just in South Asia? And why is it important for now South Asians and people in the global north to learn about caste? Caste system is a South Asian problem for sure sure in some sense because I, I can speak for India, but because South Asians are no more just in South Asia and South Asians are now in the global north, it is important to start speaking about caste in the context of global north also. So more recently, there have been instances of caste-based discrimination in the US, particularly in California and also 
very recently a very huge uh, hindu temple got inaugurated in new jersey and uh, the story with that temple was that b- the builders of that temple who are wealthy upper caste people actually they got laborers from india dalit laborers from india illegally into the us so that they can pay them less than minimum wages to construct the temple and they brought them in through like some other visas which is reserved for i think religious priests who immigrate here for uh, religious purposes like hit them and got them into the us got like this temple constructed from them by paying them less than minimum wages which they wouldn't have been able to do if were they to hire labor from the us itself and treated them very very poorly during this time of construction hid them and there was a case that was going on against them i am not sure what happened with the case but the temple still got inaugurated so when we celebrate hindu culture when we celebrate you know classical dance or yoga or you know diwali and holi we have to know that a lot of culture that the us understands as indian is actually upper caste culture and it is important to know what is the caste location of the indian or the south asian person that you are engaging with just like it is important to know you know you know it when you're talking to a white person or a black person or a brown person in the us you know uh, who you're talking to and you know how to hold that conversation depending on who they are so similarly it's important to know the caste location of the person that you're talking to so that you are not you are not giving more capital or you're not supporting a casteist culture like what has also happened is that a lot of upper caste people migrated to global north post 1965 as like in for blue collar jobs as engineers as doctors and with with that they kind of became the mouthpiece of what is understood as indian culture like very small portion of india is actually vegetarian but we are, we associate like vegetarianism with all of the subcontinent and now with time and through aff- affirmative action we have some marginalized caste folks who are making their way into the global north who are here in these jobs as well and now the same kind of caste discrimination which i spoke about like in the context of indian universities they experience here like again being chided for being here through affirmative action so yes it is a global north problem and um yeah that's what i would say so i would love to ask you about the resistance that there's been to abolishing this system but unfortunately we are out of time so please stay tuned because we're going to do a series of podcasts on caste where we can get into these issues more um so for now i think i'd like you to tell us and our audience where can we go for more resources to learn more about this in the meantime yes there are actually lots of resources now to educate ourselves about caste we have definitely there's equality labs which is a us based dalit and dba organization 
which has great resources to understand how caste manifests in the global north. Then there is a collection of books by Panther Paws publication, uh, which was started by Yogesh Maitra and very great introductory essays and books on different modes in which caste system exists in the contemporary context. Honestly, I learned a lot through social media, a lot. So there, there's like people like Divya Kandukri, Tejas Harat, Shireen Azam, all of these people who write and share a lot about the anti-caste movement. So it would be good to learn from them. But always, always not forgetting to mention the book by Dr. B.R. Ambedkar called Annihilation of Caste, which is like a primer on caste system, what it is. So these would be some of the resources I would name. Thank you, Samitha. Unfortunately, that is all the time we have today. We will post links to the resources that Samitha just shared on our social media platforms. So please follow Swana Region Radio on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Our guest today is Samitha Srivatsa, a third-year PhD student in the Critical Dance Studies program at UC Riverside. In her research, she's interested in interrogating how the politics of upper-caste heteropatriarchal domestic space have come to structure the contemporary ecosystems of classical dance in India. If you have enjoyed the show, please help us continue our work by donating to the station that sustains this and so much other progressive programming, Pacifica's KPFK at kpfk.org. Listener-supported radio is an essential service that allows us to broadcast shows like this, so please go to KPFK to make your donation or to become a member today. As you know, KPFK is an independent, listener-sponsored radio station that relies entirely on listeners, like you, to support its valuable work. We refuse to take corporate funding and advertising. Unlike a lot of our public radio counterparts, 100% of our programming and production budget comes from you. Since you are listening, you are already a member of this community. And while you're not required to support this station, we hope that if you can afford to, that you will do that now. Please call and contribute at 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK, press 2, or use our website, kpfk.org. You will be ensuring the stability of this station so that we can continue to provide the service that you use every day. Thanks, as always, to Gary Baca at the board at KPFK today. My name is Anki Nantaram for the South Asia, West Asia, and Northern Africa, or Swana Collective. And on behalf of my co-host, Soraya Zarouk, and all of our collective members, thank you for listening, and do check out our podcast again, where you will find an archive of many interviews covering the whole of the Swana region. Join the KPFK community, donate at 818-985-5735, press 2, or go to kpfk.org. KPFK, powered by the people, powered by you. We'll leave you with a tribute to Rafahad Al-Arir, considered the voice of Gaza. He was killed during an airstrike on Gaza City Wednesday night. If I must die, if I must die, you must live to tell my story, to sell my things, to buy a piece of cloth and some strings. Make it white with a long tail, so that a child somewhere in Gaza, while looking heaven in the eye, awaiting his dad who left in a blaze, 
and bid no one farewell, not even to his flesh, not even to himself. Seize the kite, my kite you made, flying up above, and thinks for a moment an angel is there, bringing back love. If I must die, let it bring hope, let it be a tale.